reading. The scripture reading today from the Old Testament is from Psalm 27, verses 1, and then verses 9, 4 to 9. Please join me in prayer. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm of David, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me on a high rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. And you who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from the first letter to the Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 10 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So it's pretty clear that when Paul wrote his multiple letters to the church at Corinth, he was writing to a divided people. The church was broken into factions and beset by quarrels. Some of it was over theology. Some of it was over ethics and practices like how and when the Lord's Supper should be celebrated. And while Paul knew that there would always be differences in the church, he was convinced that the growing tribalism that he saw in Corinth was not healthy. It's easy to wag the finger at this kind of factionalism, although I think we should be pretty careful before we start throwing any stones. In fact, when it comes to the art of factionalism and the nuance of division, the Corinthians really had nothing on us. Maybe we have had thousands of years of practice and are just better at it than they were, or perhaps it is the fact that we have so many more sophisticated tools for factionalism at our disposal. Facebook and Twitter, Snapchat and Netflix, 24-hour news cycles that sensationalize our divisions, demonize our opponents, and pretty much make everyone terrified of everyone else. Yes, we have become masters in the art of the faction and the quarrel. So we could rail on that for a little while, but I really don't want to do that this morning. I'm much more interested in the way that Paul, the pastor, describes the factions in Corinth, specifically the way he identifies the various groups as a function and product of belonging. What I mean, Paul writes, is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. And it seems that Paul may have been onto the same idea that psychologists Roy Baumeister and Mark Leary explored back in 1995 when they scientifically theorized that human beings have an innate and nearly universal need to belong. They called it their belongingness hypothesis. This conviction that all of us, and I'm quoting here, have a basic psychological need to feel closely connected to others. And that at the core of our being, we all need to feel like we are part of something that is greater than ourselves. We have a need to be connected to a group that matters, to share bonds with other people that matter. We all want to feel like we belong. And when we don't feel like we belong, we tend to feel lost and we tend to feel lonely. Paul understood that the factions in Corinth were not just about policy or practice or what people said about Jesus. These factions were sources of solidarity places where people found identity, places where they satisfied their deep need to belong. Now, again and again, Scripture reminds us that really the only true way to satisfy this need in any lasting kind of way is to accept and affirm that we belong to God. Romans repeatedly says it, we are called to belong to Jesus Christ, Later in 1 Corinthians, you belong to Christ, Christ belongs to God. And in 1 John, you belong to God, 
because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And yet even in this most primary of connections, some of us may not be sure that we truly belong. Maybe you feel disconnected from the church. Maybe you feel disconnected from your family. Maybe you feel like you are not worthy. Maybe you feel like no matter how hard you try, you just don't feel like you belong. Belong to God, belong to Christ, belong to others as much as you would really like to feel. It is very close to the core, I believe, of who we are as people. This need to feel that we are connected, that we are part of something lasting, that we belong to God and to others. So if we do not feel this as deeply as we would like to feel it, how do we find belonging? Here are four ideas that we can ponder in that regard, and I offer them not as any kind of lofty wisdom, but as the hope of a fellow struggler, let's just say. Number one, if we want to feel a sense of belonging, we have to value similarities more than we value differences. These days, it's pretty easy to find things we disagree about. But the truth is that we as human beings agree on a lot. Our experiences are remarkably similar when we allow ourselves to see it that way. Take the concept of race, for example. Race is a social construct, not a scientific one. The traits that we most commonly use to classify each other along racial lines are physical ones, skin color, eye color, hair texture, shape of the nose. Those characteristics are controlled by just a few genes. Everyone on earth from every tribe and nation evolved relatively recently from the same small number of African tribes. As Dr. Harold P. Freeman, director of North General Hospital in Manhattan, has written, if you ask what percentage of your genes is reflected in your external appearance, the basis by which we talk about race, the answer seems to be in the range of zero 0.01%. One one hundredth of a percent. Which is to say that the remaining 99.99% of the things that we have in common are reflected in our genetic realities. The reality of our biology, the reality of our lives, our loves, our food, our shelter, the way we raise children. The number of similarities dwarf the very few differences that divide us. In my experience, I'll tell you some of the deepest and most thoughtful relationships I have had with people in the church have been with people with whom I have disagreed passionately on certain issues. Even so, they were able to see good in me. I was able to see good in them. We saw more connections than disconnections, and in the end, we wanted to belong with one another, and it worked. If we want to find a stronger sense of belonging, if we long for deeper connections with other people, I think we have to think more about the good things that we have in common and less about those difficult things 
that tend to keep us apart. The second way I think we can practice our way into belongingness is closely related to the first. We have to be good listeners. If we want to feel connected with other people, we cannot be completely closed off to the things that they are saying, the things that they say they have experienced, the pain that they say that they have had. Apollos one of the leaders of these so-called factions in Corinth, actually seemed to do a pretty good job of this, at least at first. In the book of Acts, we're told a fair amount about Apollos. We're told that he was a very effective preacher of the gospel. This is what the text says. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Still, when Paul's associates, Priscilla and Aquila, heard Apollos preach, there were a few things that they thought he might be able to do better, maybe even some things that they thought he was getting wrong. So they pulled him aside. And I'm quoting the text now, they explained the way of God to him more accurately. Don't you love that language? You know exactly what that conversation was like because most of us can get pretty defensive when it comes to so-called constructive criticism. Everybody hates that. But it seems that Apollos did hear it and he did listen to it. And we really don't know if he did accept every suggestion that Priscilla and Aquila gave to him, but we do know some things. We know that he stayed closely connected with that congregation We know that those believers continue to encourage him, continue to welcome him, and the sense we get is that he was an even more successful preacher after they talked to him than before. I think one of the major barriers to belongingness today is that we are just not very good listeners. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you're sharing a difficult issue with them and the person goes immediately into fix-it mode? They start saying, you could do this, or you could do that, or I've heard somebody else did this. And even if those suggestions might be helpful, you might leave that conversation feeling like that person never really heard you at all. In the book, we'll read together this Lent uh, neighborhood church. One of the authors describes some conversations she used to have with a neighbor of hers in New Mexico. She would occasionally walk out in her apartment complex and go down to the patio and sit with a man who also lived in the apartment complex who happened to be a Navajo Indian. And as she would talk to him, it struck her as very strange because she would be sharing something fairly at length, and then she would stop And it would be seemingly obvious that she was waiting for a response. And he would just sit there looking at her with kind of a big smile on his face. And she admits somewhat sorrowfully that for a while she thought he had a screw loose. But then she noticed that if she just sat there for a moment in that somewhat awkward silence, he would always respond with a wise and helpful very concise and focused comment. And he later explained to her that this whole thing was an ancient Navajo custom. 
that before they would respond when someone was talking to them, they would pause and they would leave plenty of room, plenty of time for that other person to add to what they were saying, subtract from what they were saying, and to make sure that that person was actually finished talking. And this gesture of respect embodied a deep-seated belief that good listening is a sacred part of what Navajos call Hanzo, a sense of harmony with the world and with other people. If we want to feel true belonging, I think this kind of deep listening is a skill that we need to hone. Number three, if we want to feel like we belong, We have to be willing to offer forgiveness to people who hurt us, and we have to ask forgiveness from the people that we hurt. I don't think I need to say that much about this one. Clearly, if we want to feel a sense of belonging in a group, if we want to hold on to that feeling for the long run, we have to practice grace on a regular basis. We have to offer grace when someone disappoints or hurts us, And we have to ask for grace when we hurt or disappoint someone else. I'm convinced that's why Paul, later on in this same letter, focused so strongly on a power that he thought could overcome factions and return a widespread sense of belongingness to the church, and that power was love. Paul hoped that the church would be a place of communal belonging that was based on love, Love that is patient, kind, not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love that can bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Last but certainly not least, if we want to feel a sense of belongingness, we have to dare to be ourselves. When we truly feel like we belong, we do not have to pretend that we have no flaws. We do not have to pretend that we are something that we are not. At the end of the day, true belonging begins with our ability to finally, at long last, feel comfortable in our own skins, to love ourselves despite our flaws, and to live honestly without making any apologies for who we really are. Now, to help us understand this one, I want to tell the story of Anne Bouchard. When Anne was 14, her family sent her to a convent. They did not force her to go. She thought she was being called to life as a nun, so she went, and she tried. But during her time of preparation, she just never felt like she truly belonged. Try as she might, she just couldn't find a way to fit in, But when she finally decided that the life of a nun was not for her, after she left the convent and came back to her hometown in her early 20s, she quickly discovered that she didn't feel at home there either. And again, everything she tried to do didn't seem to help. She started living a pretty fast and sinful life, trying to please others and find her place by fitting in. But all of that just left her feeling more empty than ever. I know what it's like to ache for belonging, Anne writes. Wanting to be accepted, longing to feel at home, hoping for that reassuring up nod from the universe that says, you're one of us 
and you can stay. So you try to fit in wherever it feels right. You get the job everyone approves of. You marry the person you're supposed to. You say yes most of the time, and you're as good as you're supposed to be. You've jumped through every hoop. You've worn all the right masks, but it still seems that all your efforts aren't good enough. You are sick of trying to fit in. You just want to feel like you belong the way you truly are. Belonging and finally realized is about inhabiting the world as the real you. And Anne eventually did get to that place where she felt comfortable in her skin, and that's when her life began to open up in new ways. We all have an innate need to feel like we belong. And if we want to go deeper into that sacred space, there are things we can do. We can learn to value our many similarities much more than the much shorter list of our differences. We can work on being better listeners. We can practice grace as often as we can, learning to give and seek forgiveness much more readily. And most importantly, each of us can learn to love the person God has created us to be, accepting that God loves us just the way we are. On that point, Anne Bouchard said this. Want to know the truth about belonging? It takes courage to belong. It takes bravery to show up in your own skin. It's easy to fit in. It's easy to blend in and hide your outrageousness. And it's also the easiest way to lose the precious parts of you. You deserve to be seen. You deserve to be heard. You deserve to be known for the real deal that you are. Stop taking the easy way out. Stop trying to fit in. The best place in life is where you are already okay. And that brings us to the good news that with God, you are always okay. And that means with God, you always belong, both now and always. Thanks be to God. Amen.